This morning, we're going to be studying Acts chapter 19, and I want to encourage you, take your Bible, follow along. I want to encourage you to listen carefully, and if there's something that we say in this lesson that applies to you, then I want to encourage you when the lesson is over that you respond accordingly. Isn't it remarkable that as you and I open our Bibles, it seems as if that the Bible is able to anticipate all the kinds of challenges that the church was going to face. There's always the kinds of questions that you and I might ask, and God's Word is able to reflect to us exactly the answer that you and I need. You have to address issues with those who believe but have been taught incorrectly. I know many of us find ourselves talking with people who are part of our family, who are a part of our community, maybe they're our co-workers. These are people who have good hearts, good attitudes, want to do the right thing, and yet they may not have been taught properly. Sometimes the difficulty is insufficient knowledge, and sometimes it is incorrect information. For instance, last week we studied about the life of Apollos. And we noticed how Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him the way of God more accurately or more perfectly. In that case, Apollos had insufficient knowledge. However, in other occasions, you have people who have incorrect knowledge and they simply need to be taught correctly. The subject of baptism, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, is an extremely important topic. It is addressed in a number of passages of Scripture and particularly in the book of Acts. And there's one question that I would imagine has been asked many, many times. And in fact, maybe even in your own life, you've asked the question, should I be rebaptized? That's one of the questions that a person says, well, should I? You know, those who were baptized as a child who said, I didn't understand what I was doing. I can understand that. I remember that when I was a child growing up, every year we would have a gospel meeting. Sometimes it would last from Sunday to Sunday. And not only that, we'd have sermons in the morning as well. And during that period of gospel meetings, there was a lot of pressure placed upon young people to obey the gospel. I can remember the gospel meeting before I was baptized, approximately 10 or 12 of our congregation were all baptized at one time during that week. You see, there was a lot of pressure, and those young people will later on come and say, I didn't know what I was doing. I was simply following Johnny, or I was following Sally, and I wanted to be baptized because everybody else was being baptized. Then there are those who've been immersed in denominations. I've had the question asked to me several times when maybe conducting a Bible study with someone. And they would say, but I was baptized at Brand X Church. Do I need to be re-baptized? What does the Bible say on that topic? Well, the question is, does the Bible address a sensitive subject like this? And the truth is, it does. And I'm not going to be beating around the bush I'm going to try to be as plain 
and as careful and as accurate as I can be in this lesson to the point which if you need to be baptized once again, then we want to encourage you to do so. If you have never been baptized, we want to encourage you to do so. The elements that we're going to, or the points we're going to study about in our lesson this morning is, first of all, the elements essential in baptism. What does baptism really involve? What does the Bible teach that a person must do to please God when they are immersed? Number two, we're going to focus particularly on this passage and we're going to look at the elements of an invalid baptism, an incorrect one, as we see in this passage. Number three, I want us to take some time to examine our own baptism, to think back, if you will. So let's begin, first of all, and Acts 19 begs the question, what are the essential elements of baptism? What is it that a person must do in order to be baptized correctly? Well, I'd suggest to you it involves at least four essential elements. Number one is the mode in which a person is baptized. I'm going to have to explain that. Number two, the authority. By whose name are we baptized? Number three, the purpose. Why is a person baptized? What is the reason behind it? And then number four, the subject. Am I a proper candidate to be baptized? When you start asking the question about baptism, there's a lot of things that people call baptism, which is not what the Bible teaches. For instance, I have friends, in fact, I even have family, who are members of a religious group that believe that it is appropriate to take a little water and sprinkle on a person's head and say, you're baptized. I know others that believe that when you're a child or maybe even when you become an older adult, that you can go and have water poured over part of your head. And that is what they call a baptism. But the original word that is used in the Greek original passages is the word baptizo. So what they've done, they've simply taken the letters and brought it into our language. They call that transliteration. But the original word means to immerse, submerge, place under. But you know, you don't have to read the original language. You can just look and see how the Bible uses the word, and you can understand that plainly. For instance, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul would say, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism. Notice, buried with him. When writing the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul would say, Buried with him in baptism. See, baptism involves a burial. A person placed all the way under the water. That's the way the Lord intended it to take place. But the second thing that you have to recognize is, is there has to be the proper name or the proper authority. Now, people sometimes today don't really grasp that immediately, but it's important we take some time to understand that. For instance, in Acts chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 10, the man that had been healed at the gate called Beautiful, there was a question asked of them in chapter 4, verse 7. By what power or by what name have you done this? We want to know where you get your authority from. Now, if you drop down to verse 10, 
Their answer was, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole by his name. We understand that in so many other areas of life. If a policeman is knocking at your door and they say, Open in the name of the law. They're using the authority of the law to command you to do something. In Colossians 3 verse 17, Paul would write, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means you must have authority for everything that you and I do. It must be the the power, if you will, behind that. Well, now let's listen to the Lord as he gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In his name. Now when Paul was at Corinth, he didn't do the baptizing himself. He let others do that. With the exception of a couple. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, The reason why Paul didn't baptize people. He said, I thank God that I baptized none except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Paul says, it's not by my authority. So if we're going to have someone baptized properly, it's going to have to be by the authority. Now notice carefully in this context, Acts 19 verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. These people here in Ephesus, they're going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now you can say, well, is that really a challenge or an issue? Well, let me give you an example. If you talk with a person who is a Jehovah's Witness, they will tell you that they baptize in the name of Jehovah, Jesus, and the Spirit-Directed Organization. The Spirit-Directed Organization is a Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. In other words, we're not baptizing you just in, in the authority of God nor of Jesus. We're baptizing you in the name of our church, our religious group. But the third thing that is essential in this is the purpose of baptism. And you have to take the simple statements of Scripture to understand why a person must be baptized. We can try to cloud the issue and people can try to stir the water all they wish, but listen to Acts 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. Now someone says, oh, you jump for joy. For there means because of. No, but that's not the way the word is used here. 
The word ace for means in order to. In order to be forgiven of your sins. Same parallels found in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, which talks about Jesus shed his blood for the remission of sins. He didn't shed his blood because our sins were already forgiven. He shed his blood so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. Why then is a person baptized? In order that his sins might be forgiven. Someone says, I don't know, is there another passage that may make it clearer? Mark 16, verse 16. The parallel to Matthew 28, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. You believe and you're baptized, what he say you'll get from that? You will be saved. Someone says, well, there, is there another passage? Well, yes, there is. Do you remember Saul, who's also called Paul, when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus, is told to go into the city. He goes to Damascus. He prays there for three days, doesn't eat, doesn't drink. Ananias comes to him, and notice carefully the words that Ananias uses. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Had he been able to be forgiven by prayer, certainly it would have been by three days of very penitent prayer. But Paul still had sins. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Now here's the challenge. There's a book, What Baptists Believe and Why They Believe It, by J.G. Bowell. And here's what he wrote in that book. Baptists believe that no one is uh, that no one is a scriptural subject for baptism till he is already saved. Do you baptize a person because they're saved, or do you baptize a person in order to be saved? Well, I think it's obvious if you read Acts two thirty eight, Mark sixteen sixteen. In Acts 22 and verse 16, it's obvious that a person must be saved in order for their sins to be forgiven. Then number four, the essential element that is involved is that of who is a proper subject or candidate to be baptized. Are there some prerequisites? Are there some things that are required before we're baptized? Well, sure there is. We go back to Acts 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. What if I am here and I say, I want forgiveness of my sins, but I won't repent. I'm not going to change. You remember what Jesus said in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5? I tell you, nay, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You remember Acts 17, verse 30? The times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. No, it's an essential part. What about believing that Jesus is the Christ? In Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, Philip and the eunuch are traveling in his chariot. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And the response of Philip is, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
He asks a question, what hinders me? Well, do you believe? What good would it do to baptize someone who did not believe? You're just putting them under the water. That leads us to really the point of our text. It's obvious here in Acts 19 that this was an, an invalid baptism that they had received. There's 12 men. What was it that made their baptism ineffective? Well, I'd suggest to you that when you take out one of those essential elements, then it's no longer a baptism which God will accept. In this case, it was the authority that was missing. Now, let me explore that with you for just a few minutes here. When you think about the mode of baptism, John immersed. In fact, if you go to John chapter 3, verse 23, now John also was baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was much water there. Now, when you're reading that, you've got to understand if it was just a little bit of sprinkling of water, a little pouring of water, that would be sufficient anywhere. But John chose this specific location because there was plenty of water there to immerse. John's baptism was also for the right reason, for the right purpose, that is, for the remission of sins. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for remission of sins. What do you see is has a right purpose. These are also called disciples. But you see, they taught only the baptism of John. Now what that does is how, the question comes up, how did Paul know that their baptism was not acceptable, it was not right? Well, I'd suggest to you, Paul, in asking the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? That raised a question. And their answer to that question, we've not so much as even heard where there is a Holy Spirit. Wow, then that means something's not correct here. You see what there was a promise made in Acts 2 and verse 38, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. After the apostles began preaching, they began to impart the Holy Spirit to various people. But you have to understand, while there were people who did work miracles during the personal ministry of Jesus, there was no imparting of that. Let me give you an excellent passage. John 7, verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, to whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Oh. You mean that the the miraculous, the laying on of hands that imparted the Holy Spirit, that took place only after the church was established? You remember Acts 2, we studied about that, that the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles? Do you remember all the things that went along with that? Acts 8, verse 14 through 16, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had a correct baptism, 
But there had not been the laying on of the hands. There had not been the impartation of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul asked the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And their answer, we've not heard about it. Well, then what? You were baptized. So Paul knew that if they had not heard of the Spirit, then their baptism had an insufficient authority. They'd only been baptized in John's name. Now, very quickly, I'd like to spend just a few minutes for each of us to do a little self-evaluation. This begins to make all of us wonder, did I do the right thing for the right reason in the right way? Just a few days ago, we went to my hometown, to the cemetery where most of my family is buried for the funeral of my brother-in-law. Several of us went into the church building where I grew up as a child. I carried Alyssa up to the pulpit and I said, I want to show you the baptistry where I was baptized. And I've often thought about that day. I remember it very vividly. That's one of the questions that comes to everybody's mind. Did I do the right thing? Let's talk about that for just a moment. You do not need to be rebaptized if you simply know more. I certainly hope that 50 years later, I know a little bit more than I knew at that time. And by the way, it's been 50 years just about to the day. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You start out as a, as a child, as a baby even in the Lord. Do you know more now than you knew when you became a Christian? Well, hopefully so. You don't need to be baptized again if you just want to start afresh. I can't tell you how many times people come and said, you know, I I feel like I just need to start all over again. I can understand that. But you see, once you become a Christian, you don't need to be baptized again because now you're already a part of God's family. You're one of His children. You simply need to ask His forgiveness. If you were baptized properly, you don't need to be baptized A second time. If a person thinks they need to be baptized, they must be willing to admit that they have not been a Christian all this time. Because in reality, you only become a Christian once. It's been several years ago now. I'm not going to use the lady's name. She was a member here at this congregation. Another one of the brothers was teaching a Bible class in the auditorium. He was talking about baptism. After services, she says, I need to talk to you. Of course, you always wonder when people say, I need to talk to you if it's to straighten you out or something serious. And she said, I need to be rebaptized. This woman's over 80 years old. And... Um, You know, I'm just trying to make sure she understands. Do you realize you've not been a Christian all these years? She said, yes, that's the problem. So I knew she understood the seriousness. These 12 men did the right thing. 
upon hearing and learning better, they decided we need to correct this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They didn't wait around. Because let me tell you, once you learn the truth, you learn this is something you don't wait on. Acts twenty two sixteen. Why are you waiting? This is not something that you put off till tomorrow or next week or when Aunt Sally and Uncle Tom can be there. No, this is something is so serious you don't play around with it. Perhaps the hardest thing for any one of us to do is to admit that we've been wrong. And to realize maybe I didn't do the right thing. The gospel taught properly and applied makes men Christians, just Christians, not anything else. And so we want to ask the question this morning. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? If you have not, then you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, then you don't have heaven as the hope of your future. If you're not a Christian, you can't go to God and say, Our Father in heaven, because He's not your Father. You see, this is an important step that God wants each one of us to make. This morning, if you need to become a child of God, have you accepted, have you obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? We're going to sing the song, All to Jesus I Surrender. Are you willing to do that? Would you come all together? We stand and sing.